Welcome to the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. You can catch this show on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Google Play. Everybody should be following me on Instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge. Got a few things we're going to get into today. A lot to talk about. But first, let's pay these bills. This episode of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast is brought to you by the new novel, Exodus 2035. Post-World War III America, Jermaine Scott is recruited by the White House for a covert mission. He quickly finds himself thrust into a game of manipulation, murder, and a political power struggle. He must unravel a mystery that would shock the nation in order to save his own life and much more. Check out the new thriller novel, Exodus 2035, available for pre-order only on Amazon.com. Hey, make sure y'all check out that ebook, Exodus 2035, available for pre-order on Amazon.com. It's only going to be available on Amazon Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can get the Amazon Kindle app. Download it to your tablet, to your phone, whatever. You can check it out through there. Hey, let's jump right into the show, guys. This is part of the dark underbelly of American society. The racism, the bigotry, and the entire that we're having here tonight, if you think any of this wonkiness is going to deal with this dark psychic force of the collectivized hatred that this president is bringing up in this country, then I'm afraid that the Democrats are going to see some very dark days. And the underlying cause has to do with deep, deep, deep realms of racial injustice, both in our criminal justice system and in our economic system. And the Democratic Party should be on the side of reparations for slavery for this very reason. You have been at the forefront of the discussion of reparations. We're almost out of time. Can you just give me a two-second Yes, I want to uh, make America whole. And uh, a country is like an individual. You can't have the future you want until you clean up the past. And then I also like you because you want to give $100 million in reparations. No, more than that. To black people, more than that. 200 to 500 is the number that I sort of landed on. Ooh. I think that if you look at the historical arc Mm -hmm. of race relations between uh, whites and blacks in America, I think, you know, I don't believe that the average American is racist. I don't. But I do think the average American is vastly undereducated or underinformed about the history of race in America. For every slave family of four, they were to be given 40 acres and a mule. Politics is usually a conversation that is so disconnected from emotion, so disconnected from heart, so disconnected from our deeper human reality that given that, no wonder it became so easy for that political system to separate us from our wisdom. Germany has given $89 billion in reparations to Jewish organizations since the Holocaust. And I believe that that $89 billion has gone far towards establishing reconciliation between Germany and the Jews of Germany and the rest of Europe. Reparations carries an emotional and psychological and even spiritual force. This is part of- All right, that was Marianne Williamson at the recent presidential debates and various forums where she's been campaigning at various media outlets. And she makes a strong case for reparations, and I agree with her. A crime has been done against black people historically. In this country, a government-sanctioned crime has been done against us, and black people are old. It's just as simple as that. We are old. I'm not trying to compare pains, 
But what she said was true. Germany has paid well, up, up to 89 billion to Holocaust survivors of World War II. Keep in mind, the Holocaust was only a three and a half, three and a half to four year period. Black people were in slavery in America, 247 years, and then another 100 years of Jim Crow. So the question isn't whether or not if we are old, we are old. The question is, how much are we old? Don't never forget when the late, great Johnny Cochran passed away, he was looking into the, the reparations issue. He wasn't looking into whether or not black people should get reparations. He was looking into how much black people should get for reparations. Go ahead and use your Googles on that one. Look that up. Another thing I would like to say, I would like to disagree with one point that she said. She says she believes the average American is undereducated when it comes to the history of race relations in this country. I disagree with that partially. The only people who are confused about the history of race relations in this country are black people. White people are experts. They are not confused at all. That's how they have kept the system of white supremacy going so long because they are experts and they play dumb and they act like they don't know and they act like they're confused. That's my spiel on that. But while we are on the subject of reparations, something very interesting happened this past Wednesday. Let me pull that story for you guys. This past Wednesday, Wednesday, ah, barely talk, July 31st, the House unanimously passes a $67 million gay reparations tax bill. The The Democrat controlled U.S. House of Representatives unanimously passed a controversial gay reparations bill that will entitle same-sex couples to millions of dollars in tax refunds for their marriages, which were not previously recognized under federal law. Now, I don't have no problem with this. As a matter of fact, I think they should get it. And I think they should get as much as they can get. I'm not, I would be curious if $67 million is actually enough because an injustice has been done against their community injustice that was legislated and enforced by the u.s government and they are owed and they should get it now many of you may not have heard of this you could you could look that up that's a real thing that's a real law that was passed but two things that really jumped out to me think about this notice how no one was confused what it would look like or how they would do it When they want to be fair to other groups, when an injustice happens to other groups, they sit down, they pass a law and they cut them a check. They don't sit down and say, oh, well, no, this may be unfair towards other groups. And, you know, everybody in the United States is not homophobic and, you know, everybody, you know, didn't support those previous laws. So, man, where's this going to come from? You you know, this is going to come out of taxpayers pockets. Oh, man. What what about the taxpayers? You know, they don't agree with their lifestyle. Nope. They said this is wrong. Let's get together. Let's pass this law. Let's cut that check. And that's what what they need to do for black people in America. Also notice how nobody from the LGBT community was vehemently against this bill. You, you didn't see anybody all over television or all over social media or jumping up and down saying we don't need no handout. We don't need this money. You know, <laughs> this, this ain't for us. Um, y'all, you know, I don't need no handout. Just, just because I'm LGBT, no, y'all, y'all keep that money. Nope, they didn't say that. They say, yep, whoop, cut the check. We deserve it. Cut the check. 
we'll take it. When it comes to the subject of reparations for black for black Americans, foundational black Americans, ADOS, Americans descendants of slaves, whatever you want to label it. We got people in our community saying, well, I don't need no handout. You know, I, I would never know slave. I don't need no money. Well, if you give black people a check, they're just going to mess it up. They don't know what to do with it. Other groups don't do that. OK. Do your research, guys. Other the United States government has paid reparations to other groups in this America and this country. They paid reparations to Native American groups. It wasn't enough, but they gave them something. They paid reparations towards Japanese Americans during World War Two because they got they rounded them up and put them in internment camps. And 40 years later, in the 1980s, the government passed a law paying each family forty thousand dollars. Forty or twenty thousand dollars. I like to be accurate when I speak. Y'all can look that up. I think it might have been forty thousand dollars a family in the 1980s. They've paid reparations to other groups. All right. The families of victims of 9-11. Do you know they get money every year? And I'm not saying they shouldn't get it, but they get money every year. Nobody took a poll and say, well, you know, do you agree if they should get this money or what they're going to do with this money or should we give them this money or, you know, who are these people? What are they going to do with this check? Well, you know, we shouldn't give them this money because they're just going to mess it up anyway. Nah, they cut them a check. But when it comes to giving black people something tangible, it's always, you know, uh, we don't know. Man, that's a lot of money. Uh, well, you know, I didn't own no slaves. I, I'm not sure if I can. No. OK, whatever. We are old. Let's give us our check. I'm not going to harp on that. Let's move on to the next story, guys. All right. We starting a new segment on the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. It's something I've been thinking about for a while, and we're going to roll with it. It's called Things White People Say. Let's go. A white patron at a local restaurant calls a black patron the N-word. All of this captured on cell phone video, video that has now generated thousands of shares and comments on social media. Oh, you're so stupid. (laughs) We tracked down the women in both sides of this video. WREL Sarah Kruger talked with them all, joins us now live in Raleigh. Of course, Sarah, this happening at a bonefish in North Hills, right? David, that's right. It happened right here yesterday evening during happy hour. The woman who used the racial slur told me today she will not apologize for her language. And in fact, she said she would use the same word again. This minute-long cell phone video shows an encounter between customers at the Bonefish Grill in North Hills. This person had the audacity right here to come to our table and tell us that we are the rudest people that she has ever met. Then the woman, who we now know is Nancy Goodman, calls another customer the N-word. You're too loud. We're too loud. In your opinion. Let me show you my money. It's just as green as yours. Right. Oh, you're so stupid. We found Goodman at her home. I'm a 71-year-old woman who lives in Raleigh. I suffer from tremendous anxiety. She says that anxiety and the women's behavior pushed her to act as she did. I'm not going to say I'm sorry to them because they put, kept pushing at it. So, And that's all I'd really like what to say. What about your use of the N-word? I used that word because they forced me into it. Do you see how that's incredibly offensive? Yes, I do. That's why I said it. 
I would say it again to them. She says she would use that word again to you all. Wow. Wow. Shonda Stewart is the one who took the cell phone video. Her friend, Lakeisha Shaw, is the one who was called the racial slur. I don't care how you feel like we should have been acting. If I was standing on the table with three heads in a purple jumpsuit, nothing justified you to come to my table and call me a stupid. Goodman says she regrets not asking management to tell the women to be quiet, but she made one thing clear. So you're not Thank sorry you. about saying the N-word? No, no. In a statement, Bonefish Grill tells us we do not tolerate hate speech or disrespect in our restaurants. They added that they are reviewing the incident to see how they can do better at de-escalating situations in the future. David. All right. Well, <laughs> down in Raleigh, North Carolina, a group of black people were enjoying themselves a happy hour at Bonefish Grill, as we tend to do when a happy hour. We get together with friends. We enjoy ourselves. and. A white woman just walked over there and called him a group of stupid niggas. <laughs> now, when the white woman was asked why she did that, she said, well, you know, I suffer from tremendous anxiety. And, you know, the, the only way, way to make, you know, to get that anxiety off my chest to make myself feel better is to find a group of black people and call them a bunch of dumb niggas. And I do it again. And the white woman is smiling and smiling and laughing in, in this clip, by the way. She really enjoyed herself. All right. Things white people say. If you're down there in the Raleigh, North Carolina area and you go to the Bonefish Grill, you know, watch out because it might be a, a old white woman with anxiety. And the only way to get that off a chest is, you know, throw some racial slurs and try to make you feel uncomfortable. Things white people say. <laughs> Unprocessed knowledge podcast exclusive. Oh, God. Let's move on. Now, in Toledo, Ohio, last week, there was a standoff between a deputy and a security guard at an IRS office. And let me give you guys some context. There was a deputy sheriff who walked into the IRS office to see about his tax situation. Now, the deputy sheriff is a black man and he is in full police uniform. I'm all right. He walks into the IRS office to see about his taxes. And the security guard at the IRS office pulls a gun on him. And tells him to drop his weapon and get on the ground. And the cop looks at him and he's like, well, you know, I'm a cop, right? Mind you, he's in full uniform. And the security guard, who was white, looks at him and says, yes, drop your weapon and get down on the ground. So the black cop is confused. And he, he's looking at the guy and he says, well, I'm not going to do that. So the white security officer points his gun at the black police officer and is barking orders at him. Now, I'm going to play the clip, and then we're going to talk about this. A terrifying moment at the IRS office. A taxpayer comes in to do some business and is confronted by the security guard who pulls his gun. But the taxpayer has a gun, too, because he's in uniform for his job as a deputy sheriff. Les Trent tells you what happened next. A sheriff's deputy stops by the IRS with a routine question about his taxes. He has no idea the terrifying standoff that's about to erupt. A security guard tells him he has to remove his gun. The deputy says he can't do that and walks away. That's when the guard pulls his weapon and aims it right at the deputy. I'm thinking, wow, this man's going to shoot me in my back because I can hear the anger in his voice. 
An urgent call was placed to 911, but there's not one word that the guy they were concerned about was a deputy. We got a taxpayer at the IRS office that has a gun and he won't leave the premises. I work at the IRS, I'm an IRS employee. What's he doing? He's got a gun and he won't leave. The deputy, Alan Gaston, does try to leave, but the guard blocks the elevator door. I asked him about five or six times, just move your foot so I can go. Nope, you're not going anywhere. Imagine their surprise when the Toledo, Ohio Police Department got there and realized the allegedly dangerous intruder was their colleague from the county sheriff's department. What happened when the police showed up? The police were uh, extremely confused. They did ask him, you do know he is a full-time deputy sheriff, and he said yes. The tables were turned. Instead of the deputy being charged, the security guard was arrested for aggravated menacing. Deputy Gaston still can't believe what happened. We're supposed to be on the same team. The security guard has pled not guilty to the menacing charge. The deputy and his wife have filed a civil suit against the guard and the security companies that employ him. Now this is... <laughs> this is... The laughable part was, I could laugh because no one was hurt, when the black cop says, I thought we was on the same team. You're definitely not. <laughs> Look, all he saw was a black man with a gun, and he went into react mode. Now, this, again, this dude is in full police uniform. And notice when they called the cops, they they said it's a patron at the IRS office with a gun, and he, and he won't leave. They never mentioned he's a police officer. He's supposed to have his gun on him. That's part of his job. They trying to get this black man killed. They hoping the other cops show up and just shoot this dude. But look, obviously y'all couldn't see the clip. Pull up this clip on YouTube. Standing off between deputy and security guard at IRS office. When the when the police show up, it's two white cops. When the two white cops show up, he don't pull his gun on them and tell them to remove their firearms and get on the ground. He did with them like, oh, this, this the real police. He looked at the other black cop like, you just a nigga in uniform. You just a nigga with a gun. So now I got to deal with you. He's barking at the police officer like he's a cop. This dude is a security guard. He is not a police officer. He is a security guard. He's acting like he got all the power and authority. He's telling the cop what to do. He's pointing a gun at the cop's head. The cop turns around and tries to leave. And he stops the cop from leaving and saying, you can't leave. And the cop is like, hey, man, just let me leave. I'm just want to get out of here. And he's like, nope, you're not going anywhere to, to, to the real police get here. Do you know if you put a finger on a police officer's shoulder, that's assault? That's assaulting an officer. That's a charge. You go to jail for that. If you point a gun, a loaded weapon at a police officer, you know what the charge is for that? It definitely isn't aggravated menacing. All right. They charge this dude with aggravated menacing. Aggravated menacing. That's a misdemeanor. That's nothing. You don't get no jail time for aggravated menacing. You probably don't even have to pay a fine. This is what aggravated menacing is. It's like bullying in public. Aggravated, aggravated menacing is like if you get in a confrontation in public with someone, you get you and somebody else get into a shouting match and maybe y'all cuss each other out. And maybe you threaten to do something to somebody, but not, you don't do anything to them. That's aggravated menacing. It's nothing. It's, it's like a public disturbance ticket. All right. It's nothing. Imagine 
if a black person pointed a gun at a white police officer's head, <laughs> they would have blew his head off. No questions asked. The police officer would have got a paid vacation. Hell, Officer Daniel Pantaleo in the Eric Gardner situation. He killed Eric Gardner and they didn't do nothing to him. Now, my, the cop said he was afraid for his life. He said he thought this dude was going to shoot him in the back. The cop never once raised, went, reached for his weapon. The cop never once got confrontational. The cop never put his hands on this dude. The cop never even raised his voice at this dude. The police officer has all the power and authority in this situation, and he's walking away hoping this dude doesn't murder him. That, <laughs> that shows the power of whiteness in America. Even a regular Joe Schmo security guard can pull his gun out and tell a black cop what to do as long as he's black. When the white cops show up, his entire demeanor change. He didn't point no guns at the white cop. He didn't bark no orders at the white police officers. Hell, he even let the white police officers charge him and take him into custody. Because in his eyes, that was the real police. Let's move on to the next story. Last week in California, we had a white supremacist terrorist attack at the Gilroy Garlic Festival. I believe the individual, I don't believe, I know the individual that committed this heinous act is named Santino William Legan. I believe he identifies as a Italian American um, on his social media. He represents the uh, Italian flag there and his first name is Santino, but he did, did have white supremacist views and this was a white supremacist fueled attack this comes from the la times in the hour in the hours before santino william legan is alleged not alleged he did it to have begun firing into a crowd at the gilroy garlic festival on sunday police say the 19 year old posted a photo on instagram with the caption a garlic festival time come get wasted on overpriced expletives he also posted a photo of a Smokey the bear sign warning about fire danger with a caption instruction people to read the novel might is right by ragnar red bear authority said the book published in 1890 includes discredited principles related to social darwinism that have been used to justify racism slavery and colonialism said Brian Levin, director of Cal State San Bernardino's Center of on Hate Crime and Extremism. The notion that people of color are biologically inferior is a key tenet of this book and that biological Darwinism view of the world justifies aggression against diverse people and vulnerable people. So basically this 19 year old man Santino William Legan, who was also killed by the police on the same day that he committed this act of white supremacist terrorism at this garlic garlic festival, uh, open fired in the crowd, killed three, wounded 12 others. He subscribed to white supremacist views that if you're not white, you're biologically inferior. Therefore, you're not really a human being. That's what it's really all about. If you're not white, you're inferior. And they use that to justify murder, subjugation, oppression, anything they want to do to you because you're not human. 
you're like an animal. That's how they justify it in their mind. That's how they justify their bullshit. That's how they logically say it's okay to oppress. It's okay to murder. It's okay to rape, rape, rape these women because they're not real women. They're not white women. White women, those are real women. These is, you know, things. These are subhuman creatures. These, these are like your pets. So, you know, you can have sex with them. Do whatever you want to them. Hang them, kill them, burn them, shoot them, experiment on them, whatever. He subscribed to that ideology. And a lot of homegrown, USA-grown terrorists subscribe to that ideology. Dylan Storm Roof, the guy who shot up that, <clears throat> pardon me, Dylan Storm Roof, all these school shooters, they subscribe to white supremacist ideology. Dig in their history. It ain't hard to find it. So hey, it said what happened out there in uh, California last week. Moment of silence for those who were killed. But we got to deal with this thing because it's going to get dangerous. It's going to get dangerous real quick. Well, it's been dangerous. Let me correct myself. It's been dangerous, but it's real out here. And that could have been anybody. Anybody listens to this podcast. It could have been me. Could have been a loved one. It could have been anybody just out enjoying yourself. Yet, yeah, the damn garlic festival. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Trying to enjoy your weekend. Here comes somebody with this, you know, white supremacist views, some white extremist foot soldier killing people. Let's move on. I think the last thing I really want to touch on today, I'm sure everybody heard about the back and forth between. Representative Elijah Cummings and Donald Trump, Donald Trump slamming the city of Baltimore last week, calling it basically a, a rat infested shithole of a place that nobody really wants to live. You know, Elijah Cummings, why don't you do something? Well, first of all, Donald Trump, he's president of America. Last time I checked, Baltimore was in America. And I know being a D.C. native, Baltimore is not that far from the White House. If Donald Trump wanted to do something for the for the people of West Baltimore, if he wanted to clean that up. Well, I'm pretty sure he holds the highest office in the land. So I suspect if he really wanted to do something to help him, he, he, he could. But here's what's interesting. Donald Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and you can look this up. He actually owns a housing project in the city of Baltimore. He owns a housing project that houses 20,000 people. I believe he has about 9,000 units. Do you know in 2017, the housing project that Jared Kushner owns racked up 200 code violations, including rats, maggots and mold. So I guess Donald Trump knows very well about those rat infested projects in Baltimore because his son, his son in law owns it. Well, owns one of them he doesn't you know, own every project in Baltimore. So I misspoke there. They had people living in those buildings saying they couldn't even sleep because they can hear the rats running within the walls at nights kept them up do you know how much money jared kushner makes off that housing project in baltimore let's let's just do some off-the-cuff math on this let's just do some off-the-cuff math on this like i said all right jared kushner he owns a housing project in baltimore with nine thousand units you know, 9,000 users that, that house estimate 20,000 people. Let's say he charges on average $400 a unit. That's $3.6 million a month. $3.6 million a month times 12, 12 months in a year. 
That's over $43 million a year. And I'm just estimating. He could be charging less. He could be charging more. Let's say he charged half that. Let's say he charged half that. Let's cut that number in half just for the sake of this conversation. That's over $21 million a year. Jared Kushner, Donald Trump's son-in-law, is making off the backs of poor black people in Baltimore. And then he got the nerve to go to his social media and talk down on them. Really? Well, this is America. And I said it before I say it again. Donald Trump is the president America deserves. That's the man that they put in office. And he speaks for too many white people in America. He don't speak for all of them, but he speak for enough of them. He says what they thinking. He says what they want to say. He ain't got no problem taking money from poor people. He ain't got no problem getting rich off the backs of poor people. Now, mind you, Jared Kushner owns this building. He not cleaning it up. He don't do nothing about the rats and the mold and the maggots. He just take the money every month and don't give a damn. Once again, you can find this podcast on the iTunes podcast app. There's no longer iTunes. Apple moved, changed their format. They took all their podcasts from iTunes and put it on the Apple podcast app. If you got an Apple product, it's that little purple app with the white pole with the radio signals coming out of it. It literally says podcast, Spotify, Google Play. Catch me on Instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge if you want to support the show even further you can check out my latest work hypocrisy in america the veil of white supremacy available on amazon on amazon.com that's where it is you can also pre-order the ebook the novel this is a novel guys it's complete fiction exodus 2035 on amazon.com I believe you got to have the Am- either you have to have a Kindle or you have to have the Kindle app installed to uh, pre-order it because it's, it's, it's a Kindle exclusive. It's only going to be available on Kindle. Check you guys next time. He attacks everybody. I know Donald Trump. He's not mature enough to take criticism. He can't help it. He's like a child. Somebody says something, he reacts. He's thin-skinned and not really matured that well. But he has a particular venom for blacks and people of color.